morning. Um, As we begin, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles or turn your Bibles on to Galatians 5, 22 through 26. Um, If you don't have a Bible, there should be one on the end of a row uh, near you. But last week and this week are what uh, I want to kind of open our minds up to is this reality um, of tag team sermons of what professional wrestling fans would be calling going after the world championship belt of walking by the spirit. Last Sunday, Pastor Sean, he introduced this reality uh, uh, in the Christian life of what it looks like to rightly walk by the spirit using the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Today, we're going to dive deeper into that reality, into that right practice by highlighting some of the truths that we looked at last week, but also discussing three new truths together. And my hope is, as we look at these truths together, is that we'll see that walking free by the Spirit leads to the consistent bearing of spiritual fruit in our lives. So I want to encourage you to take your Bibles with me. Look at verse 25. I'm going to read just one verse in this section, and then we're going to pray and then grow together this morning. Verse 25 says this, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you. We praise you, God, for the opportunity that we have to gather here, Lord, to look at your word, to worship, to sing praises to you. God, I pray that you would open up our eyes, open our hearts, God, convict us, change us. God, conform us to your will by the power of your spirit, God. I pray that you would speak through me, that you would be glorified and honored today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we're starting at verse 25 in this passage on purpose. What I want us to see right from the get-go, right from the start, is this powerful point the Apostle Paul, the author of this book of Galatians, wants to make to the Galatian church, what he wants to make To us here today. He writes a statement of truth, or at least a should be truth, and then follows it up with a command to live out based on that truth. You could say in context that that Paul actually declares a position of reality and then instructs them to live experientially from that position. And this is huge, so don't miss this because this is gonna be our launching pad, our platform for the rest of this morning from where we're going to go from. And for me, and I hope for you, this will bring us a lot of hope as we walk by the Spirit. He says, if we live by the Spirit, verse 25, if we live by the Spirit position, then let us keep in step with the Spirit experience. So what's this position? Up to this point in the the letter that Paul writes to the Galatians, he's labored immensely. And, And we've talked about it since I think August here together. He wants his readers, he wants us to know that people are not saved. We are not saved. We're not justified in our status before God by keeping the Old Testament law, the the law of Moses, by doing good works or um, doing good deeds is what we might say today in our culture. Now Paul makes it clear throughout this entire letter to the Galatians, to both Jews and to Gentiles, to people from all over the world, all from different cultures, 
that we're only saved by faith alone, through grace alone, in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who, was, came, who, who came to earth as a perfect, sinless man, who died on a cross for the punishment of the sins that we deserved, who was buried and was raised miraculously by the Spirit of God three days later in the same body that he died in, which signifies his victory over death, but also his power over sin and his power over this Old Testament law. This truth claims that everyone, this position claims that everyone who by the the power, the leading of the Holy Spirit, who repents of their sin and places their faith in Jesus Christ is a new creation. They're in a new position than they once were. So check this out. This means, according to Galatians 2.20, that they have passively been crucified with Christ. And we're going to see this in, in just a moment in verse 24. Then they've actively, by the work of the Spirit, crucified their own flesh with its passion and desires on the cross of Christ. They're free from their sin. They're free from having and trying to keep this law, doing these exceedingly good deeds. In Galatians chapter 4, we've already learned this together, that the, the, the Spirit, Paul says the Spirit of Christ Jesus actually lives inside of these new creations. The Spirit indwells in their hearts. And this is the position that every single follower of Jesus is in. Verse 25, if they live by the Spirit. So then what's this experience? The experience that Paul commands us to live in, in Galatians 5.25, of keeping in step with the Spirit, is a deliberate lifestyle action that's integral to the position. The true experience that, that Paul says here is one that's in accord with the Holy Spirit, one that's, that's in and lived from a personal relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. It's, a, it's an experience that does not walk flippantly uh, into, into grace or into sin because of a fickle appeal to, to, to grace. It's one that does not try to justify sin in their own lives by seeking to do good afterwards. It's not one that tries to gain ongoing favor from God by seeking to do good. See, this reality of position and experience reminds me of a few Saturdays ago when TCC, Church in Christ Church, had its annual flag football tournament. Some men in here may still be feeling the effects of that day. I refereed and I'm still feeling that, that, that effect. I don't know how that works out. But every year, though, this is really cool. Check this out. Every year, there's one team that goes above and beyond in the preparation process for the tournament. The captain of that team, he makes these armbands for every single player on the team. And on the armbands, has has positions, has plays and, and positions for each player, and then routes that they run based off of their position. So... Essentially, if you were on this team, in every single play, you not only knew your position, but you also knew your experience. You knew what route to run. You knew how to move when the play started. This is all for maximum play completion. This is similar to what Paul is saying here in Galatians. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. If we know the position... Let us live out the experience from that position. Let us 
run that route. So here's the experience, right? But practically speaking, we do face some trouble when we try to keep in step with the Spirit, don't we? Paul knows this. I believe we know this. Yet for the most of us who do follow Christ, I think we want, we do. We want to follow Christ. We want to keep in, in step with the Spirit as much as we can. But, in, but sometimes when the pressure is on, we choose to, to walk into sin or to hover around temptation, pretending like we're not immune to giving into it. You see, we desire to bear the fruit of verses 22 through 23 in Galatians 5, but we can't seem to always do it. For example, this morning, my upstairs neighbor at about 3.30 a.m. decided he wanted to jump up and down on the floor. I don't know why. I feel like that's, that's what it felt like. That's what it sounded like. I'm not sure if that's what it was. But in that moment, I woke up and I'm thinking to myself, man, it is so hard right now to love him, <laughs> to be patient with him, because I got to preach, you know, in just a couple hours. So I take my pillow, go over to the couch, try to fall back asleep. Praise God I did for a little bit. But, but also for you, maybe it's hard to love your spouse at times when they hurt you, or, or to be patient with a child that, that, that's yours when they don't follow directions or show kindness uh, or, or show kindness to you. It's, it's hard for us to show kindness to a coworker or a roommate when they don't return it to us. Have you ever been there? Might our experience, our faith journey with Christ not match up to our position in Christ? Might we be running the wrong route? When I find myself answering yes to these questions, maybe you find yourself answering yes to this question. The, the, the question, or this, yes, this question, the, the question then becomes, how exactly do we walk free by the Spirit? The first remedy to this question is that we must pick up our cross daily. So we started with verse 25 of the text this morning. We're going to do some reverse engineering uh, right now, we're going to go back up to verse 24. Read it silently with me as I read it aloud. Paul says this in verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul here communicates a positional truth statement that's similar to the one that he follows it up with in verse 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus are those who live by the Spirit. But why? Because the Spirit is the one who saves us in Christ Jesus, because the Spirit is the one who started that process of salvation in each and every one of us. The Spirit is the one who seals us in our justification before the Father, and then leads us through this lifelong process of transformation that we call sanctification. Sanctification is the continual process in which the follower of Christ has his or her passions and desires transformed from craving unrighteousness and pursuing the works of the flesh that we find in verses 19 through 21 of Galatians chapter 5 to then desiring righteousness in all of life and ultimately bearing spiritual fruit. To put it in simpler terms, it should be on the screen behind me, sanctification is the ongoing process 
by which the Spirit works in us to create a desire and a passion for righteousness in our lives. To put it in teenager terms, young folk terms, the Spirit that lit you then keeps you lit throughout all of your life. Look back at verse 24 with me now, though. Paul gives a distinction in verse 24 to this positional statement of identity that he doesn't give in verse 25. Look at it with me. He says, the believer has, the verb tense here, has actively in the past crucified his flesh with its passions and desires. So essentially, for those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in that moment of salvation, in the past, we simultaneously, deliberately, positionally placed all of our fleshly passions and desires on the cross with Jesus Christ. We actively, whether we acknowledge it or not, due to age or understanding, we submitted our old self to death. So positionally, here's the good news. Christ died on the cross bearing our sin, our guilt, our shame for all the fleshly passions and desires that we have. But by the power of the Spirit of God, he was raised from the dead. His resurrected body bore no more of our sin, of our guilt, of our shame. His resurrected body is perfect. And in his resurrection, he guaranteed our future resurrection in perfect, holy, unstained, glorified bodies. This is our future glorification. The Spirit leads us through life, all of our life up to that moment of our future glorification whereby we will receive what Christ won for us in his victory over death. Experientially though, here's the bad news. We're not in our glorified bodies yet, amen? We're still in our fleshly bodies, which means we have an opposing defender trying to keep us from running our route. But that factor does not change our position in Christ and how we should live by the Spirit. So just like in verse 25, we have to live integral to our position. Now, the goat, Tom Brady, has a lot of antagonistic voices against him, mine being one of them. And, and also from time to time, he battles physical injuries on and off the field. But he's the quarterback of the New England Patriots. He doesn't let these things in his life, these outside opposing forces in his life, detract him from living out his position. The opposition we face in our lives is part of, our, part of the process of our sanctification. And we can't allow that opposition to get us off track from walking by the Spirit. Paul says this similarly in, in Philippians 2.12. He says that we must work out our salvation. We must fight to live integral to that position by actively taking a hold of our flesh with its passions and desires and leading it to the cross every single day, nailing our passions and desires with our flesh to the cross each day picking up our cross each day, setting it each day, and then walking away from it each day. It would have been absurd in ancient times for you to walk up to the cross 
that a thief was on and start taking out the nails that that thief, uh, of that thief to let that thief go. It would have been absurd. It would have been destructive for you in your own life. I think we know why our flesh is up there on the cross. So friends, let us stop going to the cross in our own lives each day, taking out the nails, letting our old selves off the cross. I know that the the temptation to do so is strong. I know sometimes it feels like it's daily. I I know that sometimes it feels like there's nothing that you can do to not take off your old flesh off the cross. But this is why Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, that we're to follow him, we're to deny ourselves and pick up our cross daily. Sanctification is an ongoing daily process, but it's not a process that we do alone. And this is good news for us this morning. It's our second truth this morning that walking free by the Spirit means we're not alone. We're not alone in this faith journey. The personal spirit that that has saved us is the spirit that keeps us and leads us. This is so comforting. He does not leave us to pick up our cross alone daily. Paul later in his letter to the Romans, he writes in Romans chapter 8 verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This life the Spirit gives is his supernatural grace, which helps us pick up our cross daily and to set our minds on the things above. The life he gives also creates us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, which is only satisfied when we commune with God through his word and through prayer, as Pastor Sean mentioned last week. And communing with God is abiding with God essentially allowing God to speak to us through his word, meditating on it, dwelling on it, soaking in it, and then also speaking to God through prayer. And in this ongoing reality of communing and abiding with him and his son, Jesus Christ, by walking in his spirit, can we then, and and we will, bear spiritual fruit. Jesus says this himself in John Chapter 15, verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, so time out. I'm going to pause for a moment. We've looked at a lot of things so far, so let's do a quick recap. First, living in the Spirit is a position in which we've crucified our flesh with its passions and desires. Keeping in step with the Spirit or walking by the Spirit is an experience we don't do alone. And in this experience, we pick up our cross daily and we abide with Christ so that the effect of that, the result of that is so that as we walk by the Spirit, we will bear spiritual fruit. Now here's the cool thing about bearing spiritual fruit. If you look at uh, John 15, The fruit that Jesus talks about is singular in nature. Likewise, go back with me to Galatians 5.22. When Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is, the fruit he talks about here is singular 
in nature. So just a pop culture warning for you, a reference coming up for you is this, that my man Justin Bieber, in one of his biggest hits, he, he, he would exclaim, what do you mean? Okay, so get this. A singular vine does not produce different kinds of fruit. No, it produces one fruit, and if it's a healthy vine or a healthy tree, then much of that fruit. So when Paul says in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is, he's not comparing apples to oranges or apples to apples. Uh, If you were spending time with family this week, you might want to play that game in reference to this, just reflect on it. But he's he's not comparing even apples to apples. No, he's instead, he's referring to one singular fruit that is expressed in our lives as, look at it with me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These things bud in us and exceed out of us naturally fresh and ripe and juicy. When we abide in Christ with the help of his spirit, Paul communicates that we bear this fruit all at once. Now at this point here, I want to share two thoughts with you all that I have regarding this truth. The first, which you may also be thinking is this, is that Matt, if that is true, if the fruit of the Spirit is really singular, why don't I live out all those things simultaneously? Why do I find it hard to live out one of those things all the time? My most candid, simple, honest answer for us here together is because we try to manufacture these things in our own lives separately as if they're separate fruits and as if we could produce them in and in, out of our own wills and desires and ambitions. The fruit of the Spirit does not yield to us. But we do this, don't we? Like, for example, I want to love cats. I do. Like, sometimes I want to love cats, but when I try, I've got nothing in my heart for them. <laughs> I apologize to the, the cat lovers in here. Or, or another example, maybe you can relate to this. I love Pastor Travis with the agape love that Paul is talking about here, this divine love. I love him as my pastor, as a brother in Christ. But it's hard for me in the month of November to not make fun of him and his goofy mustache when I'm with him. You see, the love is there, but the kindness is lacking. (laughs) But on a more serious note, I think we actually do know this to be true. When we try to produce joy in our hearts in those dark, dark moments of depression and discouragement, there's nothing of joy, but there's also nothing of peace. And in those moments where it seems like everything is just spinning out of control, we, we, we don't have any control on anything, there's nothing of peace in our lives, but there's also nothing of patience. It's quick to snap. It's quick to get angry in those moments. Or when we try to stop ourselves from going too far sexually with someone of the opposite sex, when we cognitively know that, that we should, but fleshly we're all in, there's nothing of self-control, there's nothing of true love. Or when we try to love our enemies, yet they vilify us because we're a different ethnicity or a different political party or 
a different religion than them. There's nothing of love in our hearts for those people, but there's also nothing of goodness towards them coming from our lives. The point here is simple, friends. We cannot produce these things in our own lives that Paul is listing here in Galatians 5 in and of ourselves. We can't do that. We can't produce them together, but we also have trouble producing just one of them all the time. But there's hope in that realization, friends, because we're not supposed to. We're not supposed to be producing those things in and of ourselves. We are not the vine. See, we're just the branches. And this is freedom because the spirit in you frees you to bear his fruit. We are the branches. He is the vine. And I promise you, you will produce this fruit naturally in your own lives as you pick up your cross daily and as you abide through both word and prayer. The second thought that I have with regards to this idea, this reality that the Spirit's natural, that the Spirit is the one who naturally produces fruit in us, is it's at this point, it's at this point that separates us from all moralistic religions, which are those that try to merit favor uh, before God, from God, or, or those religions that try to lead to a point of escapism based off of a set moral code. But this point also separates us from irreligion altogether. And here's what I mean. I don't know about everyone else in here, but when I read this list of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul gives in verses 22 through 23, I think to myself, man, man, I know some good people. I know some good people who come from Islam, who come from Hinduism, who come from Buddhism. I know some good people who claim to be atheistic or agnostic, as if God's not involved in their lives. And they do a much better job at living out these things than I do. Yet, as we've already learned, the self-production of what the world calls good morals, of, of virtue, is at best limited. Yes, we know there are good people in the world. They're all around us. You interact with them at work. You interact with them at school. You interact with them Everywhere you go, there are good people in the world. But the well from which they do their good from, it runs out. It runs out. I can't tell you when or why it will. And it, and it may seem like for you, like you're interacting with them, and it may seem like their well that they do good from never runs out. And you're like, what in the world? Right? But it does because it doesn't overflow. It will dry up. But here's the worst part. That's not even the worst part. The worst part is, is that they are alone in their production of their perceived plural fruits. Those who follow Christ are not. The well from which believers produce fruit from is overflowing with life-giving water because the Spirit lives in us. Friends, this is the good news. This is the hope that we go out here with. This is our hope when we walk by the Spirit. Yet, this idea of unbelievers being able to, to manufacture these things in their own lives, it's an interesting thought, is it not? Practically speaking, right, like we see these people, we see unbelievers who have peace in their lives. We see unbelievers who have love. We see unbelievers who are just joyful at times. And it's like, 
Why? Why do you even want to be that way? If you're an unbeliever, why do you want to produce these good things? I thought a lot of I thought a lot about it, and I'm sure if we together were to stop and just to come up with motivational reasons for unbelievers to produce these plural fruits in their lives, we could come up with many, many reasons, many motivational reasons, right? Yeah, we could do that. But all the reasons that we could come up with would be different than the motivational reason that Christians have to bear spiritual fruit. See, Christians have the obligation, have the responsibility to bear spiritual fruit because it brings glory to God. And so as we conclude, I want us to see that walking free by the Spirit brings glory to God. Now, please hear me carefully when I say this. Just hear me carefully when I say this. One motivation, just one motivation for people that people have who don't walk rightly in the Spirit for producing in their own lives, manufacturing in their own lives these good things, one motivation is self-glory. They try to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, all to express to others how great they are. They want recognition. They want to be noticed. They want a raise in their jobs. They want a new position in their communities, in their friend groups. They want respect. They themselves want to be loved. They want to be in control. And and what this does is often results in this never-ending game of either comparison or the putting down of others to make themselves look better as they manufacture their own fruits. Somebody might want to tell Drake these are not God's plans. But lest we single this rap icon out, right? Trying to bear this fruit for self-glory is not just a problem for unbelievers. It's a problem for believers too, is it not? And it happens when we don't first pick up our cross daily. Have you ever been there? I have. But look back at Galatians 5.26 with me. Paul warns the Galatian church here in verse 26 against this self-glory. He warns us to, listen to this, verse 25, if we keep in step with the Spirit, then, verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Friends, Paul is communicating that any motivation less than bearing fruit for the glory of God is against the law of Christ mentioned in verse 13 that we've talked about for the last couple weeks. It's against the law of love of loving one another. It's a rejection, really, of a true adoration of God. When we walk by the Spirit, we do so for the glory of God. And here's why. In John chapter 16, verses 13 through 14, Jesus says this, it's in the nature of the Spirit working in us to glorify the Son. The Son then glorifies the Father. And so if the Spirit that saved us is indwelling in us, never leaving us, bearing fruit in us. It's all for the glory of the Father. It's not ours, this fruit that that we bear, it's not ours to claim. It's not ours to leverage for anything else. When the fruit is good, it is to the glory of the vine, the tree that produced it. And then in verse 23, look back up at verse 23 with me. Paul says here that against such things there is no law. 
There's no law. There's no limitation placed on the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control should be exceedingly, abundantly flowing from our lives. There's no limitations on them. I want to live that way. God wants each of you to bear these things in your own life. And so, in just a moment, as we go into a time of prayer and reflection, taking the Lord's Supper, I want to encourage you to dwell on this truth. Jesus says that his Father is the vine dresser. John chapter 15, his Father is the vine dresser. And as a vine dresser, he prunes the branches. That's us. He prunes the branches to bear much fruit. Those of us who are in Christ, what area or areas of your life does God, by the power of his spirit, need to prune in your life? Or teenager, maybe a simpler phrase, a simpler question might be this. What area does the spirit in your life need to keep you lit? Do you need his supernatural help for you to pick up your cross daily and follow him? Do you need the overwhelming conviction that his spirit, that he is with you daily? Do you need to be gently reminded that you don't bear fruit for your glory, but for his? See, we're all in different branches connected to the vine of Christ. Those of us who are in Christ So the pruning process is going to be different for each one of us. An application today and then going forward, my encouragement, I want to encourage you to pray to the Lord to prune you as you reflect on the sacrifice of Christ. Now, for those of you here today who have never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, this meal is not for you, but the time is. Matthew chapter 3 verse 8 states that keeping with repentance is actually bearing spiritual fruit. The first spiritual fruit God desires for you this morning to bear is to repent and to be saved. So after I pray, I want to encourage you, if that is you this morning, to have a conversation with God right where you're at. As everybody else comes and takes the Lord's Supper, have a conversation where you're at, asking him to forgive you of your sins, to help you to believe in his son, Jesus Christ to help you desire to follow him throughout your life. Friends, the application today is diverse, but yours is personal. There are two tables up front to take the Lord's Supper, one in the back, and so when you're ready, please go to those after I pray. But let us seek to be faithful together in these moments. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Thank you, God, that you have sent him to die in our place. But thank you that you raised him from the dead and sent us your spirit to live in us, to dwell in us, to help us to pick up our cross daily, to be with us always, to help us to bear fruit for your glory, God. But I pray for my brothers and sisters in here, God, to this morning. I pray that you would challenge them in their hearts, God. You desire for them to bear fruit. I know they want to bear fruit for your glory, God. I pray 
that, Lord, you would show them, you would help them, you would prune them, God, in the areas of their life that need to change. For those who don't know you, God, I pray for them. God, that your supernatural spirit, your your spirit would powerfully work in their hearts to transform them, to lead them to repentance, to bear this spiritual fruit so that they could bear spiritual fruit abundantly throughout the rest of their life, God, I pray. I pray, God, that you would help us to be faithful now. We thank you for your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name.